Uh, before I get started, I've uh, been asked by uh, Gary and Carrie to uh, share a little bit of my background since uh, we're fairly new to this church. Um, I'll start off with a little bit of a kind of a professional uh, background. Since I was 14, I've had my own business where I service and repair boats. And I have also been involved in education where I'm teaching in that line of work at the college. And at Brainerd High School, I spent a year there. Uh, the program was called Metals and Motors, which I spent more time on the motors than I did the metals since that's been my expertise since I was uh, 14. Untangle the cord here. So anyway, I was just thinking this morning, we were having a conversation uh, myself, and I don't remember who it was here, but talking about how most people I talk to today know me as a teacher when that's only been the last three years of my life. Um, last fall, somebody asked me that I bumped into, I hadn't talked to for a year or so, and they're like, oh, what are you doing now that you're not at the school? Oh, I'm just back at my shop. What shop? Oh, my boat shop. Oh, you do that as well. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Back when Bill Clinton was president, I've been doing that. Can I give you an idea of how long it's been? Uh, anyway, a little bit lesser known, at least with uh, with this particular group of people, is I've been involved in the music industry in various degrees, both as a recording engineer and a record producer, and a sound system designer as also a musician. Um, the exciting points of that start in 2005 when my parents and I were going through some old videos that my grandfather had given us. He had just moved into a nursing home. We see this uh, VHS tape, and I don't know what was written on it. It was something about my Uncle Al, who was an uncle of mine who died back in 1996. And I knew at the time that he was a drummer in a band, but I just thought it was something he did for fun with some friends in a garage on weekends, you know, that kind of thing. Nothing to brag about or write home or anything like that. So we put this VHS tape in, you hit play, and it's like, it's this music video that was the original copy, which was on, aired on B, uh, not VH1, what's the other one? MTV back in the 1980s. And the feature person in that was an actress named Demi Moore. I'm like, huh, there's more to this story than I think. So I do research and I find the uh, list of the, of the, band members and the singer whose name is uh, Freddie Moore. Hmm, Freddie Moore, Demi Moore. I wonder what the connection is there. Somebody got married at one point. That is Demi Moore's first husband, despite what the media would tell you, that Bruce Willis was the first. He was the second. Ashton Kutcher was the third. I don't know what she's doing now. I don't pay attention. Not much concern. More important things. One of them's right there sucking on her bottle. So anyway... Being a musician, that was very intriguing to me. Huh. I have this uncle who uh, has a bit more of a story than I'm aware of. Do my research. I find out that he was not only friends with some of the guys I grew up idolizing, but he toured with them. He partied with them. He did not live a godly lifestyle. He was not a Christian to the best of my knowledge. Don't know if he made a change there when he died. I don't know. That was in 1996, and I was in such a bad state at that time. But anyway, I took advantage of my connections there, and I, as my own kind of solo artist and own musician, put together my own project and made it all the way to the office of a very prominent and very important record company. And long story short, 
I got to the building, I turned around and I left. Some might say I chickened out. But I'm saying that I got to that point and realized, you know what? This is what I wanted to be all my life. I made it this far. Mission accomplished. I'm going home. Turned around, went back, went back home. Didn't regret it. Something that was basically handed to me is something that a lot of musicians would have to work for very hard. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And it's like a lot of things in my life that have just been handed to me. My job at the high school was just handed to me. My job at the college, just handed to me. I don't even have an associate's degree. Very, very blessed. It took me a long time to realize how blessed I was, even just till recently. You know, I'll, I'll transition over to the faith side of my life. 2001, I was working at Home Depot. I think at the time they closed at like 10 o'clock, and for some reason I was still there at 11.30. And I'm out in the parking lot, it's just me. And all of a sudden this truck full of trailers shows up, and this guy's asking me, where do you want me to put all these trailers? And I'm just a lot guy. <laughs> I don't remember all the context of the conversation, but he just started talking to me about God right then and there. And it's like, I had gone to a Christian school. I'd heard all this before. It never sunk in until this guy said whatever he said. You know, and then he just sort of drove off, never saw him again, never heard from him again. Well, some people say, he told me, well, maybe he was an angel sent by God. Huh? Probably. Very cool how God works. So that was my initial conversion. But... There's more to the story. That was in 2001. This is 2005. I was just telling you guys about this music video that I discovered, and that's when my music career had really taken off on a bigger scale. And there were some family issues at the time with my brother getting divorced and me being really upset about that also. A lot of things compiled to me becoming just a ferocious alcoholic and getting into drugs and things like that and venturing over to California, becoming acquainted with bigger names, more elaborate parties with harder drugs and harder lifestyles. And, you know, there was the scariest moment of that whole thing was taking a drug somewhere and then waking up in the woods in Northern California. And this escalated and escalated until about 2008 when there was more or less an intervention in my life and I had to get some help through family and through a pastor at an area church. And <clears throat> rededicated my life to the Lord. And then shortly after that, Tracy and I started seeing each other and becoming friends and eventually got married. And you know, we both, kind of at the same time, were going through similar things. So we both rededicated our lives, and I got baptized in August of 2009. She and I started dating in September of 2009. And it's been a very interesting journey. It's been... A very tough one, but as I've been spending a lot of time lately reflecting on particularly my job at Brainerd High School, the toughest job I've ever had in my life was the most beneficial that I've ever had in my life. I was able to get closure for a lot of regrets in life. You know, I wasted a lot of time in high school. I, you know, I had a lot of opportunity to do great things. I spent 17 years beating myself up over that. Brainerd High School was my second uh, second opportunity. Didn't realize that till after I got out. I Wow, God really works in strange ways, really cool ways. So, fast forward to uh, modern days, and uh, I see uh, a few familiar faces from our last church, which is Remnant Ministry Center down in Brainerd, um, here to see me, which I really appreciate. And um, one thing I was telling my wife that I feel like 
I feel so comfortable here. I feel it's it's just so right that we're here in this church. You know, I'm, she reminds me all the time that I'm the spiritual leader, and well, you know, I've been this place has been on my heart for a long time. And a few months back, we decided to make this our home church, and uh, I was talking with her more about. It. I said, "Man, this is so different than our last church. You know, it's just it's very charismatic there. It's very outgoing, very you know vocal." And in here, it's just it's so mellow and so calm, you know. And it's just uh, that's wonderful. You know, I think you know they're very charismatic, they're very outgoing. That's great. This is very laid back and casual. That's great. You know, they're two very different churches, but I believe they're both Christ-centered, uh, which is basically the context of my message today. <clears throat> it's the question that are you living a Christ-centered life? Or is it Christ-themed? And a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is centered around the verse in Matthew 22, verse 37. And it says, And he said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And it kind of ties with the first commandment, which is, You shall have no other gods before me. And... For those of you who know your Bible, you know that this verse is mentioned many times in other parts of the Bible. It's in the Gospels. It's in other areas. Love the Lord your God. Trust the Lord your God. Lean on, not into your own understanding. You know, Tracy's favorite verse. It's mentioned several times, so obviously it's important, right? And another thing also is a lot of this is taken from my observations through Facebook, which ends up kind of being a theme with other messages I've done. I, I look at the things that people post on Facebook and the things they say on Facebook, and immediately I'm drawn to the verse which says, um, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." If you if you spend any amount of time on Facebook, you kind of see where I'm getting at with this. That people tend to be pretty vocal on Facebook, whereas if they're to be face to face, it might be kind of a different thing. You know, kind of the Minnesota nice thing where you don't really speak your mind until the person is gone. It, it's true. It's it's part of the culture here. I mean, when I first, you know, getting back to California, when I first went to California, I had no sense of style as far as my attire, none. I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't color match for nothing. And I, you know, I had met my cousin, who was this uncle, who was the drummer. He had a a child with one of the groupies and didn't tell us. I didn't discover her until 2005. But anyway, I met her for the first time, I think, in 06 or 07. And this thing that will always stick out to me for as long as I live is first thing out of her mouth, who dressed you? <laughs> but what I'm getting at there is, uh, you know, it's it's like Facebook. I mean, you know, she spoke her mind and she spoke it right to my face. And it's like, well, that's harsh, but I appreciate it. You know, <laughs> the Bible says the wounds given by a friend are well meant, but I don't believe she's a Christian, but still. Whereas here, it's like, well, what do you think of this shirt? I mean, oh, it's interesting. Thank you, my number one fan. <laughs> but anyway, I see on Facebook that people are not afraid to speak their mind, even if they're the Minnesota nice type, which a lot of people are, which I don't think one personality type is better than the other. But one thing in particular that I've that I've seen what's really kind of inspired this message is uh, 
You pick any given person on Facebook, you see they posted some Bible quote or a picture of Jesus holding a baby or whatever. Something that's kind of Christ-themed. And when you look at their life, you kind of sometimes have to wonder, is this that same person or was their account hacked? Sometimes it's that extreme, sometimes it's a little more subtle. And when I think of that, I think of another verse in the Bible which says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. If you're going to, like say somebody post, trust in the Lord your God and lean on, not into your own understanding, but yet they're worried about this or that or they want to do things there, like, well, if you're going to say that, if you're going to believe that, and do it. You know, we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So I have a few different... Well, quite a few different verses here, so I'm going to be jumping around a lot. And I'm going to start out with one that in some ways may raise some eyebrows, but then again, the wounds given by a friend are well meant. And I believe in preaching the Bible and you know, having preachers preach the Bible as it is written and not sugarcoating things. First uh, reference is Matthew 18, 3-6. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, the key words there, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Again, the key words there, who believes in me, causing someone who believes in me to sin. This is addressing people who are Christians and who proclaim Jesus is the Lord and Savior. That's, that's, that's stumbling block. Uh, Tracy and I had gotten into a very heated debate on Facebook a couple years ago about this very thing, how people dress, particularly the females. The fact of the matter is men are more visual, women are more emotional. That's, that's just how we're hardwired. And where I'm get, what I'm getting at is this, is we've seen... and. These are, these are women that Trace and I both know, and they dress in ways that are really not necessary, wearing things that are clearly too revealing or whatever the case might be, you know, particularly a few we know who on Halloween dress up in things that should not even be worn in public. And a lot of the heat that we took was the comment of, well, men shouldn't be looking. It's the man's fault for being lustful or whatever his response is. Well, that is true. We shouldn't be looking, but you shouldn't be tempting. You shouldn't be providing that temptation. That's you know that's where it's what it's getting at with a stumbling block. That's it's not just referring to that in this passage. Another one that. Trace and I feel somewhat passionately about, and I'll reference, and I won't say who it is or where it's from, but it's a pastor of an area of church. And I reference him because he's in a position of leadership in a church, and I believe, as the Bible says, that they're held to a higher accountability, and they should be. But I've known this guy for a long time, and I've seen him drinking, and I've seen him smoking in public places, including bars. Now, is it a sin to drink? Not necessarily. Is it a sin to smoke? It's debatable, but not necessarily. I mean, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and we should take care of it. That's not the point. The point that I'm getting at with this is, with this particular pastor, 
he is the pastor of a pretty popular church. So a lot of people know who he is. A lot of people follow him on Facebook, for example. When they see that, and they're not a believer or they're a new believer, they'll look at that and they'll say, hey, well, this guy's no different than me. I guess I'm saved. You know, I'm, I'm fine. I can do what I want. However, whatever the case might be, whatever the response might be, you know, that's, you're going to have every kind of response there, every kind of reaction, every kind of interpretation of that. But I really believe, and I use this as my backing, that he's creating a stumbling block for some people. He has to be with a church with that many people in it. You know, and even just somebody like myself, you know, I'm, I'm very much out of the public, and you know, a lot of us are to various degrees, even in our jobs. Are we creating stumbling blocks in our workplaces, in our homes? Do our, do our coworkers know we're Christians? What do they see in us? Do we have loose talk in our lips? Are we taking advantage of our employers? Are we stealing? Even if it's something stealing pens or stealing time. You're slacking off on the job, you're stealing time. You might have that coworker who might be saying, I want to believe in God, but I'm just not ready, or I don't know what it's like to be a Christian. And they see you and it's like, oh, well, what's the difference? I'm a Christian now, I guess. I believe in God. I believe he's good. But yet I still do this and I do that. So moving on here. Earlier, there were collection plates, collection baskets that were passed around here, and we had taken an offering. And for those of you who put something in one of those, the question for you is this. What were you doing when you put that money in the plate? In the basket, I should say. Do you know what you were doing? Were you tithing? Or were you just putting money in a plate? Were you just giving money to a church, or were you worshiping God? Or were you doing both? Hopefully you were doing both. But ultimately, what's the reasoning? Are you just putting money in a collection plate for a church? Or is it your actual tithe? In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think, Gary, you might have referenced that a little bit right before the offering was taken. Loves a cheerful giver. The key word there, giver. Why do we give? Why do we give our tithe to this church? Why do we give our tithe to YWAM, Compassion, whoever? Are you giving to feel good about yourself? Is this just a feel-good thing that you do, or is it an act of worship? Are you giving because you want to get attention from others? You want praise from others? Do you want other people to say, oh, wow, he put money in the pit. He must be, he must be really good. He must be on track spiritually. Are you giving so you don't feel guilty? I've been guilty of all these, but to be honest with you, just make that disclaimer. I've given so I don't feel guilty. You know, plate's going by me, well, I'm going to feel guilty. I feel like people are going to look down on me if I don't put something in. Got to find something. Got to put it in the plate. And I feel like God was telling me, you know what, just keep it. You know, they're going to let your yes be yes, let your no be no. If you're going to tithe, tithe. If you're just going to give your money away. Moving on. 
Are you giving to get something in return? This one can get interesting because uh, you know it, it is okay for us to challenge God to see if we can outgive Him. And I've heard this through messages at our past church. I've heard it through messages we've seen on TV from people who I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever are Bible-believing Christians preaching the truth. But what I mean by this is giving something to get something in return. It kind of maybe goes back to giving to get a good feeling about yourself, giving to get a good reputation about yourself. Are you just doing it because you want God to give you something? God will give you this, but I want you to give me that. Not a good idea. Unless you're giving out of worship and honor, you're not giving, you're technically taking. That's why God says he loves a cheerful giver, not a cheerful taker. When you tithe, and I'm referencing tithing, actually giving money out of an act of love and worship for God and to further the kingdom, when you're tithing, are you, do you have anxiety about it? Are you like me at many times in your, in your life and you say, oh, I'm going to tithe, but man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the electric bill this month. I'm kind of worried about that. It's going to be tight. Tithing should be done in complete faith. It should be done cheerfully. Be a cheerful giver, not a worried giver. Do you complain that you can't keep that? There are times in my life where I've been financially blessed, and so I felt the Lord telling me to give more. Obviously, a tithe is the literal definition is tenth, ten percent of what you make. And I've been guilty of complaining that, well, I've been doing really good financially. I want to, I want to keep some of it. No, I got to still give a tenth. Got to give my ten percent, and that ten percent is going to be greater this month. We are commanded by God to trust everything in our lives and that includes our finances. He will take care of us. You know, familiar verses don't, you know, talking about not worrying. It talks about looking at the birds in the air. You know, they, they, they go here, they go there, they do this, they do that. God provides their every need. They don't worry. You know, we're more significant in his eyes than birds. So why, is, why would he not take care of us if he takes care of the birds? Another verse in tithing. This is a very familiar verse if you've ever been to a wedding which was officiated by a pastor. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. But the part of that that does apply to tithing, love is not self-seeking. Again, are you doing this for yourself or are you doing it as an act of worship? Are you doing it because you love God? If you're just doing it to get something in return, just that alone, you're not loving God. When somebody wrongs you, how do you respond? So many people I've known who claim to be Christians and who proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, when somebody wrongs them, they automatically hold a grudge. Yeah, I understand it. People have wronged me many times in the past. I've been upset with them. I've been guilty of holding grudges. Yes, I have. I am not guiltless here. The Christ themed person will say, this person wronged me. I'm going to do what I can to wrong them. 
I'm not going to let this go. Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. For in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrongs. Yes, it does hurt when we're wronged. A Christ-themed person will say, I was wronged. They're out of my life. A Christ-themed, Christ-centered person will say, you know what, that really hurt me. Let's, let's work it out. Let's forgive and forget. Another verse on forgiving in Proverbs, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. And really the best, if you're absolutely adamant on retaliation, quote-unquote, well, the best retaliation is reconciliation. Want to fight back? Forgive them. They're powerless there. It's not an easy thing to do. Forgiving people is a very hard thing to do. Anybody who's been hurt, especially if you've been deeply hurt, as I have many times in life, forgiveness is very difficult. And I'm always wanting to retaliate. And the best best way to retaliate is, is reconciliation, forgiveness. That's the best weapon. They are powerless to defend against forgiveness, being forgiven. How do you respond when somebody confronts you about sin? Do you respond harshly? Christ-themed people, oftentimes they do. Our last church had a pastor who was not hesitant to confront people about their sin. That is the kind of pastor I have a tremendous amount of respect for. When they see sin, they call it out like it is. They don't sugarcoat it. And he stepped on a lot of toes. And I say, good, keep doing it. He's retired now, but keep doing it. You're not retired from serving God till the day you die. Keep doing it, man. I will cheer him on till the day he passes or till the Lord comes back. How do you respond to that, though? In the Bible, it says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you have a soft answer? Do you say, well, my pastor confronted me about sin. Or my friend or my family member confronted me about sin. You know, maybe they maybe they gave a Bible reference to us saying this is why this is why it's a sin. You know what? That hurts, but God is number one in my life, and I need to address this. I am not without sin. The Bible says if we have no sin, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, I want the truth in me. I want God to be happy with me, so I'm gonna have to bite my tongue and say, Yeah, you know what, God, I screwed up. I sin. I sin every day. I'll probably sin by the time I leave this property. You know, it's not that I'm saying that's okay. That's just that's just how we are. We are imperfect. Our best works are filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord, it says. Best retaliation again, reconciliation. Forgive and let God deal with that person. It's not up to you to deal with the vengeance. And to build on that, when you're confronted about your sin, for those who live Christ-centered lives and swallow their pride and admit that they were wrong and they repent, what is true repentance? Confessing sins? Yes. But it doesn't stop there. So many times I've seen people repent of their sin, but then they just go right back into it, where it becomes practicing sin. (coughs) But true repentance means... Not only confession, but doing whatever it takes to avoid repeating it again. 
you know, a familiar verse in the Bible. I think it's in Matthew and probably other areas. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It doesn't mean actually physically tear your eye out and throw it away. It means whatever the source of your sin is, get rid of it. Avoid it. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. It's not easy, but it's doable. With God, anything is possible. But also, again, like I was saying at our last church and our pastor, how many times I've seen him in particular expose somebody's sin and there was no repentance. Or if there was, there was no change in behavior. And again, true repentance comes from confessing and getting rid of the sin, doing what it takes to avoid it, not keeping it in your life. And you know, when I, when I talk about our last pastor and I talk about the one I had mentioned earlier where I've seen pictures and <clears throat> things of him at bars with drinks in his hand or wherever with drinks in his hand with people, or I've seen him in person with cigars or cigarettes or whatever, he's, whatever he has in his mouth. I think about the different churches that we have in this area. I think my sister-in-law was saying there's something like 90-something churches just in the Brainerd area. And they're all different sizes. Um, we have this church, which is a little bit on the smaller side, and you have other churches, like the one I've spent a lot of my adult life at down in Baxter, which is a rather large church, not the church that I'm referring to with this particular pastor. All different sizes, and oftentimes I'm concerned, or I guess more curious, when I see certain churches and I see how much popularity they have. And I'm not, before I say anything, I'm not saying I'm condemning a church for being big. Being a large church does not make you a bad church, but oftentimes I think there's a, an actual reason why they're popular, quote unquote. Maybe it's because. And there are a couple churches I've been to who do where they do this. They water down the gospel and they say it in a way that people won't be offended. They tell people what they want to hear. They basically tickle their ears, as the Bible says. And I've only I, I've only seen this in larger churches. I have not seen it in a smaller church. Our last church was relatively small, and well, you can probably figure out one reason why. Because the pastor said it like it is, and I think those are those are some very wonderful churches. And not to say that big churches aren't wonderful too, but they they're against the Christ-themed or Christ-centered. It breaks my heart to say that there are Christ-themed churches in this area, where you look at certain churches, you look at the people who come out of there. Do you see a transformed life? With one in particular, I really struggle. It breaks my heart, but I really struggle. I don't see much change in the people in that church. And it's a larger church, and it's a very popular one. Again, not condemning the size, but just looking at the underlying reasons of why churches are the way they are. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that this is a smaller church. It doesn't matter that the church I grew up or my adult life was at was rather large. Pastor's message needs to be checked with Scripture. When Gary preaches, even what I'm sharing with you guys today, you know I'm presenting the gospel, pre presenting the word as best as I can to the best of my abilities. But that doesn't mean you should just take it and leave it at that. 
match it up with Scripture? Am I saying things that are accurate to what the Bible says? Is Gary speaking from the Word? Is he preaching it the way it is written? Every church, no matter where it is, no matter how big or small. That's the difference between Christ-themed and Christ-centered. Saying it like it is or watering it down. And to build on that, Christ-themed or Christ-centered, approving of sin. Proverbs 17 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. The first thing, and I don't know if you guys uh, think of this first like I do, but same-sex marriage. It's been a hot topic for a lot of years and how it's legal in America. <coughs> Excuse me. Justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous. They're again referencing Facebook when Christians speak up and calling homosexuality what it is, a sin. They're getting condemned even by people in the church. It's sad, but it's true. People in the walls of the church are justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous. Condemning people like those of us who call, who call homosexuality a sin. Condemning us while proclaiming Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is a sin. Do we hate the people? No, we don't. Homosexuality itself is a sin. And it needs to be viewed that way. Here's one that could raise some eyebrows. Politics. Christ themed or Christ centered? Do you get sucked into politics? Are you worried about a Republican in office? Are you worried about a Democrat in office? Are you putting your putting your hope in these people rather than in God? There's nothing wrong with being political. I'm completely not political, but I know a lot of people who are, and I think it's perfectly okay either way. I'm not condemning people who are political. Where I'm getting at here is in Proverbs, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. If you don't like the current president, if you don't like a past president, I'm not going to go into that whole thing, but if you don't like, if you like the person, you don't, fine either way, but you need to remember that it's even for the wicked, for the day of trouble, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. I remember all the way back to when George Bush was elected in 2000. People were flipping out. Oh, the world's going to end. When Obama was elected, the world's going to end. When Trump was elected, the world's going to end. Guess what? The world's still here. And to be perfectly honest with you, for me personally, whoever's president, my life doesn't, my, it doesn't affect my life personally a whole lot. It doesn't mean I don't care about our country doesn't mean I like or don't like somebody. I'm not worried about who gets elected, who doesn't get elected. You know, because there's a popular song by the Newsboys that Cross has the final word. It's not just a it's not just a song, it's true. You know, people are gonna come and people are gonna go and bad things are gonna happen, but in the end, God has the final say. God will take care of us. You know, the Bible says that in the end times, lawlessness will rise and the love of many will go cold, as we see on Facebook. Again, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You learn a lot about people just by reading what they post on Facebook and what they type. You see a lot of lawlessness, even in the church. 
And to be honest, I don't know why we should be surprised because the Bible tells us that things are going to get really bad in the end. We don't know when the actual end is, but it's going to get worse. The Bible says it many times, but yet we as Christians seem to act surprised when we see things like this, like same-sex marriage being legalized or whatever the case might be. We shouldn't be surprised. Another one in politics in Isaiah 45, which says, People may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. How many times have I seen Christians idolizing people in office? Too many times. Do I put political figures above God, Christ-themed or Christ-centered? I see Christ-themed when I see people more concerned with who's in office than what God's plan is for their life. I see Christ seen when I see Christians posting politics, political posts after political posts, but absolutely nothing about God, no reference to God. It's all about politics, whether pro this person, against that person, or whatever. Are you putting politics before God? If you're Christ-centered, the answer should be no. And again, the Bible says, you know, making reference to birds, are we not more important than something served on a stick, which is basically what I say. A bird served on a stick at the state fair. We're more important than that, therefore we should not be worrying because God takes care of our needs just like he takes care of the needs of the birds in the air. Worrying. Here's one we can all relate to. Psalm 23, very familiar verse if you've been to a funeral or if you've even been in Sunday school longer than one Sunday. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why are we worried about what might happen to us? The Christ-themed person would say, oh, I'm worried about whatever. I'm worried about losing my job. I'm worried about somebody might not like me. <gasps> they might unfriend me. Facebook. It's just dumb. It's a good way to keep going contact people, but sometimes it just can be really dumb. Just worrying about just most insignificant things. And to build on that, what happens when we have a tragedy or a trial or a setback? Christ-themed or Christ-centered? Like the why questions in life. Everybody, Christ-themed, Christ-centered, will ask the question, Questions like this. God, why did you take away my job? God, my car broke down and it's cost me $3,000. I don't have $3,000. Why would you let this happen? Why did you let my child get cancer and die? Um, Tracy and I have a friend. Uh, her name is Nancy, and she's been dealing with a, like a throat cancer, I think, for a long time. Very, very godly woman. Very Christ-centered woman. And she's been dealing with this horrible illness for a very long time. You know, and we've even said, you know, God, why? Why is why is she going through this? I don't know. I can't say. I don't know. The why questions in life. God, why can't the Vikings win one Super Bowl? Or in my case, God, why can't Chick-fil-A be open on Sundays? Or at least why can't they come to Brainerd? Mm-mm-mm. I love that place. I wanted our wedding to be there, but Tracy said no. Well, they have a bouncy castle. 
Anyway, getting back on track here. Trials, tragedies, and setbacks. Christ-themed or Christ-centered, how do you respond? Everybody asks these questions. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Huh. Interesting. John 13 says, then he, 5 through 7 says, Then he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. I'll give you one dark example from our household. In 2014, we had a miscarriage. And it was a very, very, very difficult thing for both of us to go through, very traumatic in a lot of ways. And two of the verses that we were pointed to really by God right away were these. His ways are not our ways. And the part of that last one I read, which says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but afterwards you will. And God, why, why did you allow us to go through a miscarriage? We don't know. We don't understand right now, but there will come a day where we, where we will. You know, they didn't, they didn't almost understand why Jesus was watching, washing their feet. But there came a point where they did understand. It says right here, it says, what I'm doing now, you will not understand. Afterwards, you will. It's not always up to us to understand the tragedies in life. It's not always up to me to understand why Chick-fil-A isn't in Brainerd yet. It's not up to any of us to understand why we lost our job, we lost this or that, or this bad thing happened. Jesus knows what he's doing, and he knows what's going to happen in the future. That's all we need to know. Trust in the Lord your God, lean not unto your own understanding. Very good verse. Maybe it seems cliche, but it's true. If it's not true, then why is it in the Bible, right? Lean not unto your own understanding. We can only see what's in front of us. We can't see the big picture. It's like, for example, if I were to have a flashlight in my hand, and if I were to turn the flashlight on and hold it against the wall right here, you would see a little circle of light right here. If I back up and I shine it here, that circle is going to be much greater. That's the view that God has on our lives. We have this little view. God has this view. He sees what we don't see. He knows something we don't know. It's up to us to trust him. You know, again, sometimes he does things that don't make sense. You know, referencing my high school job again. I didn't know why I was there. I didn't want to be there. I had told my wife I had a horrible attitude at the interview. Like, I just, I don't care. I don't want to be here. And sure enough, they handed me the job right then and there. And to build on that, I told them, well, I, I want, you know, they told me what I was going to be paying. Like, nope, I'm going to, you're going to give me this much or I'm walking. Okay. What's going on here, guy? Why, why am I doing this? I don't know. What, what he was doing, I did not understand. I understand now. I was there for many reasons. It's like, oh, God is greater than I thought. He knows more than I know. Awesome. All the more reason to trust him. Again, leaning not onto our own understanding. I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of stuff that I don't understand, and when I try to act like I do, I, I come across as an idiot. Christ-centered or Christ-themed, are you too focused on what's around you? Colossians 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I talked a little bit about this on politics. You know, is your identity, and I'll build on that, is, is your identity in what you own? Is it in what you wear? Is it in who you associate with? Are you like me in your younger day, at least in my younger days, where I would associate with Christians so people would think that I was a Christian? As dumb as it sounds, that's how I was. I was too focused on the people around me. Very close friendships ended, and they ended by God because God knew that I was too focused on who I was associating myself with. I was hanging on to friendships too tight, putting them before God. You know, it's, he taught me a lot of really good life lessons that I've had to learn the hard way. And I've been one who has always had to sort of dig myself out of the problems that I got myself into. I never had anybody to really help me out. Other, I mean, I just want to say that I reference other people. I'm not saying God. God makes me learn things the hard way because that's how he knows that I learn the best. It's by learning the hard way. Christ-themed or Christ-centered? Here's one that can get interesting. Question for you guys. Does the devil attack you? If so, that's actually probably a good thing. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If he's attacking you, then obviously he hasn't devoured you yet. If he's attacking you, obviously you're doing something right. You're heading in the right direction. You're serving God. You're doing something that God wants you to do. Satan doesn't like that. He's going to attack you. He's going to tear you down. You know, the last probably month or so, in this last month or so, this, this message here has been heavily on my heart. And even before that, and I've been just really praying and hoping for the opportunity to actually be able to share it with anybody. And here's my opportunity. And the devil knew that. I knew that this is something that the Lord gave me. And he's not happy. He's been trying to tear me down like you can't imagine up, uh, leading up to this. And I've been aware of that. I've been very aware that you know, I'm having many down days. And it's like, well, I know why. The devil's trying to bring me down. I'm here doing something that God wants me to do and the devil's not happy. He's trying to rip me into pieces. He's trying to devour me. If I'm not feeling anything, any attacks from the devil, if I don't feel him trying to tear me down, I'm concerned. I see that as the devil not being too concerned with me. That can be a scary thing. If you're worried, if the devil's not attacking you. Honestly, I believe you need to be worried. Maybe he's already devoured you. He's not concerned about you because he has you right where he wants you. And right where he wants you is not where you need to be. It's the very opposite of where you need to be. Where is Christ centered in the Bible? I've been referencing that term quite a bit here. Is it in the Bible? The words Christ-centered or Christ-themed. Not to the best of my knowledge. At least it isn't worded that. It's worded something else. The term that is used 
in the Bible oftentimes is the term lukewarm. And before I get into the verses for that, I wanted to make reference to something I heard from a pastor uh, 14 years ago here. He said that if you're worried about being lukewarm or that you might become lukewarm, that's actually a good thing. Because people who are lukewarm, they don't take God seriously. If you're worried about being lukewarm, then obviously you're heading in the right direction. You're obviously concerned that, hey, maybe I'm not going to be loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe I'm not serving Him wholeheartedly. Maybe I'm just a Sunday morning Christian, not a seven-day-a-week Christian. But in Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve yourself and God. You can't go to church on Sunday and go through all the motions, sing the songs, bow your heads in the prayers, you know, give a couple amens, put some money in the plate, not tithing, putting money in the plate, and then go home and not feel any different, not feel transformed, not feel convicted, not feel changed, not feel the Holy Spirit moving in your life, living one-seventh of what you're supposed to be living. Sunday morning, you're a Christian. Monday through Saturday, you're you. No, you're supposed to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Him. Die daily, as it says. Every single day, die daily, not just die Sundays. You can't say, I trust God, but, because there are no buts with God. I was trying to tell this to a doctor I know who did a colonoscopies, but he didn't seem to like it too much. There are no buts with God. Revelations 3, 15 through 17. My mom is probably going to be listening to this at some point. She's probably going to be rolling her eyes and, yeah, we shouldn't say that. But, there's another but. If you get nothing out of this message, you can say I talked about butts. Anyway, getting back on track here. Revelations 3, 15 through 17, which says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. And this should be a very familiar one if you've been in the church for any length of time. I wish that you were neither hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and poor and blind and naked. That's kind of a scary thought if you think about it, that a creator of everything that you see, everything that you hear, everything that you feel, and all the senses, everything around you, the one who created that, the one who loves you, the one who sent his son in your place because he cannot be in the presence of sin, to spit you out of his mouth. I don't know how you can be, I don't know how you can really fathom that without trembling. A Christ-themed person would say that and be like, oh, it's just a metaphor. No. It's not really a metaphor. It's you know, you're, you're worse than a non-believer if you're just walking the walk and not talk, talking the talk and not walking the walk. If you walk, if you talk and you don't walk, you're lukewarm. It says right in the Bible, these aren't my words, these are God's. And God warns you, he will spit you out of his mouth. 
That to me is scary. That's my biggest fear in life is becoming lukewarm. And again, like that pastor said, that if you're worried about being lukewarm, that's actually a good thing. It means you're concerned about it. That means obviously you have God in your life and you need to make sure that you always have him number one. So what does all this mean? Again, it means we die daily. We, t- we deny ourselves daily. We take up our crosses and we follow him. Are we perfect at that? No. The Bible says that our best works are filthy rags in his eyes. God the Father can't be in the presence of sin. Thankfully, we have Jesus to take our place to offer us that one and only road. Christ-themed or Christ-centered. How do we respond to that? The response is we are the same person Sunday morning as we are Wednesday afternoon or Thursday evening or Friday morning. The same God that we celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday is the same God we worship on May 3rd. It means every day of the year. It means all day, every day. Do we succeed in that? No. We fail daily. We fail constantly. All the more reason we need to be crying out to God. It needs to be a daily thing. Confessing our sins. Admitting that we don't have it all together. Admitting every day that we need Jesus. Confessing our sins. Addressing them. Asking for God's help to avoid them and not run back to them, not practice them. Because it's the practice of sin that will get you spit out of his mouth. My prayer for this church and for everybody is that if you're Christ-centered, great. If you're living a Christ-themed life or a lukewarm life, there's a problem. Either go all in or go all out. It would break my heart if anybody I knew was spit out of the mouth of the Lord because they decided they wanted to have one foot in the world, one foot in the church.